this morning, I, we're going to take just a couple of minutes to focus on what God has done. And this past week has been tremendous. You know, we've, we've been praying. Uh, we've had a group of men who've gathered together every Wednesday morning uh, for about the last eight years praying for revival and, and praying for God to move. And, and, you know, I can't thank you. Mike's prayer a while ago was so appropriate. I can't thank this church body enough for those who volunteered and, and prayed and worked and cooked and cleaned and you know so many Wednesday night was just incredible as God was, was bringing people to a relationship with him they were following in believers baptism and so many of our workers didn't get an opportunity to see that they were they were still cooking or serving and, and so I can't say thank you enough but it is it has been amazing to see God bless and and, and to catch just a glimpse of what God says is available to believers who will surrender to him. And so now it's time for us to catch our collective breath, okay? But, but here's the deal. Now the work starts. You know, now it's time for us to begin because one of the things, and some of you are here this morning, man, this past week was, was your first opportunity to walk into a relationship with Jesus Christ. For some of you and for some of us, it was an opportunity to refresh that walk and to say, you know what, this is who I'm going to be. And, and I want to challenge you. That means that, that there are some things that are a part of our mission statement to reach, connect, grow, and seek. And that growing part is, is crucial, okay? And, and we want to help you begin to grow in your faith. We don't want to leave you as a babe in Christ, okay? And so that's the next step. And so we want to be, we're going to be contacting you and plugging you in and following up with how we do that and how we make that uh, available to you, okay? Because that's the big key. This morning we're going to be in the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 4, if you're using a pew Bible there in front of you, it's on page 816. And we're going to look this morning at at talking about just a moment, celebrating what God had done. Nebuchadnezzar is, at this point in time, the most powerful king who's ever lived in the world. He is the, the most powerfully known. He is literally ruling all the known world at this time. And he, he, he's built this kingdom. God has used him. He's blessed him. He's put him in place to bring these things about. And, and this event, it's kind of the end of the story before the middle of the story. That's kind of what's taking place. We're going to read this morning in Daniel 4, verses 1 through 3, the end of what God did in Nebuchadnezzar's life and talk about what God wants to do in our life and what, what that means for you and I. So if you have your Bibles open there to Daniel chapter 4, if you would please stand with me this morning as we honor the reading of the Word of God. Beginning in verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar, to those of every people, nation, and language who live in all the earth, May your prosperity increase. I am pleased to tell you about the miracles and wonders the Most High God has done for me. How great are his miracles and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. You may be seated. May God bless his word this morning as we study it together. A couple of things that this passage teaches us, you and I, and it's this way for every single one of us. It's the start of our relationship to Christ. It is the continuing of our relationship to Christ. It's what happens in our life. And the first thing that we have to do, the place we have to get to, the recognition that we have to have is that he is God most high. Nebuchadnezzar begins in verse 1 and he says to those, he's talking to literally everybody in his kingdom. He gets down to verse 2 and says, I'm pleased to tell you about the miracles and the wonders the most high God has done for me. Now what's happened in Nebuchadnezzar's life at this point, he, he's actually gone through a time where he believed that he was the guy in charge. He believed that all his success had come through him. 
And, and so he kind of taken credit for it. He's also just seen God deliver Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego through the fiery furnace. All these events have taken place in his life. And, and yet what happens is he's not humble. And so God lets him go through some things. He has a dream. God tells him in the dream through Daniel, this is what's going to happen, Nebuchadnezzar. You think you built your kingdom. You think you're great. You think you're equal to God. And one of these days you're going to say, look what I've done. And the moment you do, God's going to send you out into the field and you're going to be just like a cow in the field. The rain's going to fall on you. The dew's going to fall on you. The heat's going to hit you. You're going to be out there just like a wild animal until the day that you recognize God is God. And so this is the end of the story. He's starting with the end. And what happened in his life is exactly what he says here. He has recognized God most high. God is sovereign. Christian author, he wrote and, and said this in his book, man's, man's, or man's will is free. You and I have freedom of choice. Man's will is free because God is sovereign. A less than sovereign God could not bestow freedom on his creatures. He would be afraid to do so. Do you understand God's given us the ability, and he gave Nebuchadnezzar the ability to rebel against him. And still, even though Nebuchadnezzar rebelled, God still accomplished his sovereign will on earth because he is God most high. And it doesn't matter if you and I recognize that or not. It doesn't matter if we get to the point. The Bible tells us in the New Testament that one of these days, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is God to the glory of the Father. See, one of these days, we're all going to get there. Now, the problem is some of us are going to do that too late. Some of us are going to do that just before God pronounces judgment, and it's going to be for his glory. But the reality is you and I have an opportunity today as believers, and we have an opportunity today if you don't have a relationship to Christ to acknowledge God as most high. He's the one in charge. He's the one that does everything. He makes the sun come up in the morning. He put the moon and the stars in their place. He is sovereign. And that's, what, that's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man in the world at this point in time, said, I recognize that he is God most high. Has there been a time in your life? Has there been a circumstance, a situation? Even as a believer, you see, as a believer, what can happen to us is we begin to think, we, we begin to get comfortable in our faith, and we begin to move along. We begin to realize, you know what, maybe, maybe I've got more control over this deal than I thought I did. You know, the Bible says the, the, the man determines his, uh, man plans his ways, but it's the Lord that determines his steps. That's what it means that we get to that place, that we understand that. And the moment I recognize that he is God most high, this book doesn't just become a great suggestion manual for how I ought to live my life. It becomes God's word for God's life, for God's purpose, that he is king of kings and Lord of lords. That's what this book becomes. And I realize its authority, and I recognize the authority of God in every single thing that I do. Have you gotten to a place in your life where you said, God, I recognize you're God, and you're not just auditioning for the job. You're in control. He's God most high. The second thing this passage tells us is not only are we to celebrate him and to recognize him as God most high, but we celebrate he, the, the miracles that he has done. Look at verse 3. How great are his miracles and how mighty his wonders. Think about all that Nebuchadnezzar seen. He's seen three guys that wouldn't bow down to him and worship him. He put them in a fiery furnace so hot that the men who bound them and threw them in, the guys who threw them in died. The fire was so hot it consumed them. But here they were walking in this fiery furnace. God, uh, one who looked like the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, 
walks in the fire with them and beside them and delivers them. Nebuchadnezzar has seen the works and the mighty powers of God, and that's just literally what he does. The end before the beginning. He just begins to celebrate. He begins to tell everybody, look, guys, I'm king, and I've got a big, vast dominion, but I want to tell you about the God who is God, and I want to tell you about what he's done. Man, that's what we ought to be doing. That's what those baptisms this morning were about. That's what those baptisms Wednesday night and Tuesday night, all those things that have happened, that is our testimony to tell people about who God is. And we ought to be declaring the, the miracles of his life. You know, we, we want miracles of healing. We want miracles of restoration. We want to see those miracles happen where, where God takes us through a wreck and, 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 and all those things, you know, that, that should have happened didn't. But I want to tell you something. The greatest miracle can ever happen is for God to take a life that has no purpose and change it into a life of purpose, uh, to, to, to give somebody who has no hope of eternity the hope of who God is. And, and, and that is, that's what we understand. You know, and we throw that word around like hope, and, and, and there the world looks at us today, and I say, man, that's just what it is. You just have hope. Okay, you just wish. You hope that this is going to take place. And the best way I've ever found to illustrate that is what happens at Christmas, okay? See, at Christmas, there's two kinds of hope. The first hope is a wish hope. And, and you think about it as a little child, you're wishing for that one gift. Man, maybe it's a bicycle, maybe it's a wagon, uh, maybe for some of us it's a new car, uh, maybe for, you know, you, you're wishing for, man, you got a wish hope. You, you know, and even as adults, you know, we go to bed at night, you know, thinking maybe it's, we're going to go out and that, that you know, a, a Camry commercial or a Acura commercial is going to be true. You know, we're going to walk up and somebody's going to park a car under our, put a big red bow on the top of it or something. But that's that wish hope. That we have, but there's a certain hope. See, as a child, when you went to bed on December 24th, you knew Christmas Day was coming. There was a certain hope. There was an anticipation of what was there. And that's what the Word of God says. That's the hope that it describes for us in Jesus Christ. Declare His miraculous works. Don't let your testimony be silent. I, I can tell you, story after story after story of what happened last week and what happened today and what's happening tomorrow of people who said, you know what, I wasn't coming. But my coworker just said, hey, I, I got a ticket for you. Will you come? A family member said, hey, I really want you to be here. Uh, somebody sent a text and said, hey, this is going on, will you come? I can tell you story after story after story of people whose lives were changed because someone took the time to, to, to care and, and to do and to invite and to send. Tell people what God has done in your life. Declare, guys, the greatest miracle that could ever happen is the fact that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's changed who you are. And we were talking, there were, there were several people we were visiting after Wednesday night and and, and some of the guys, men, said that, you know, well, I've, never, I've never seen anything like that. And, you know, they were asking me, have you ever seen anything like that? And I said, I've never seen anything like that in this country. I've seen things like that in Peru. I've seen things like that in, in South Africa. And, and the reason I've seen those things there is because people are lost and, and they, they want the truth. And they'll come to, to, they'll walk miles to come see the Americans. Okay? And they'll hear the gospel and they'll get saved. You know what happened last week? We did a lot of crazy stuff. I had, a, I had one of our, our deacons tell me this morning, he said, man, some of that stuff was just silly. It was. And, he, and his next breath was this. 
but can you believe what God used it for? Okay? Guys, you and I have a testimony that we need to tell people about Jesus. You see, why? Well, because just like people in Peru and South Africa, people in America are lost. They need a relationship to Jesus Christ. And what we found out last week is if we'll invite our friends to come, they'll come. And if we'll be faithful to preach the gospel, the gospel will change lives. And, and, and that's what we are to celebrate in every single thing that God has done. God is in the business of changing lives. And that has to begin to give us focus so that we center on, on those four principles, that we reach people for Christ, we connect them to the body so that they are sheltered and secure, that we grow them in the word of God, and that we teach through example how to seek God in worship. And then the third thing, very quickly, is that God's focus is eternal. Look at verse 3, last part of verse 3. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. God's kingdom is eternal. See, guys, God's focus is on the forever. And what happens to the church, okay, is, guys, sometimes we turn inward. And we start focusing on us and what we like and what is comfortable and what is normal, whatever that is. And, and we miss God's focus, which is eternal. You know, John Randall's one of my dearest friends, passed away this past year. John was an evangelist much like Ronnie, and, and John would speak and people would respond. And one of the last sermons that John ever preached was at the Fellowship of Christian Athletes at Fields of Faith in Brownwood, Texas, a, year, a little over a year ago. And in the middle of the sermon, John is up there, and, and, and you just see John. John just kneels down like this, and it's almost like it's for emphasis. He's preaching with all of his heart, and, and they showed that clip at his funeral in Lubbock a few months ago. And his son Zach preached his funeral, and Zach stood up, and he said, Now, all of you have seen my dad preach. You, you probably thought he was kneeling down because he, he was trying to make an emphasis and catch people's attention. He wasn't. He was kneeling down because that pancreatic cancer was so strong and harsh in his body that the pain was almost unbearable for him. That's why he knelt down, but he pulled it off without a flaw. And then Zach said this. He said, Now, trust me, Dad had rolled around on the stage if he'd get people saved. Okay? Why? Because like his heavenly father, he knows and knew that God's focus is eternal. The gospel of Luke, there's a story about Jesus. The woman, simply known as a Samaritan woman, the woman at the well. Jesus is out there, his disciples have left, they've gone into town and and, and while they're gone, in the middle of the day, this woman comes. And the reason she comes in the middle of the day is because she is a woman of less than stellar reputation. She's been married five times. She's living with a man who's not her husband. She can't come and gather water with the rest of the women in the town at the right time, at the cool of the day, because her life is so bad. She's an outcast. People talk about her. She walks down the street and they're whispering. They point at her. They laugh. They jeer. They make fun of her. And so she comes in the middle of the day and Jesus has a divine encounter with her and he tells her about who he is. And this woman is touched by Christ. She's saved by Christ. And what she does is she forgets about all the trivia. 
She forgets about a town that's talked about her. She forgets about her neighbors who have laughed at her. She forgets about the people who've started rumors about her. And she runs into the town and says, come meet the one who is the Messiah. While she's gone into town, the disciples come back. They brought some bread and some water. They're trying to feed Jesus. Here, take something to eat. You've been without food. And Jesus says, I have food to eat that you don't know anything about. And the disciples are all focused. Who brought him food? Who fed him? Wait a minute. Why was he talking to that woman? Doesn't he know who she is? Doesn't he know where she's been? And they're looking to Jesus. Man, they want to minister to Jesus. Their focus is on Christ. And, and church, that's where our focus has to be. But it can't be a solitary focus that misses the focus of our God. And they're looking to Jesus, and they're ministering to Jesus, and as they're surrounding him, looking to him, Jesus looks and sees the town coming. And this is what Jesus says. Turn around and lift your eyes to the fields that are white unto harvest. Church, I want to tell you something today. It isn't about us. It's not about, not about what we like or what we prefer. It is about the fact that our God and Father is an eternal God and Father and His focus is on the eternal. And you and I have to keep that in the forefront of everything that we are. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 9.20, and this is what he says, To the Jew, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. Though I am not under the law, but I became like one under the law to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Even though I'm under the law of God and the law of Christ to win those who, are not, who don't have the law. To the weak, I became weak. I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means, I may save some. That's it. It's not about us. It is about the focus of our God. His kingdom is eternal. And that means that we need to embrace what is ahead for his glory and for his purpose. And it may not always be what we like. It may not always be what's comfortable. It may not always be what fits our schedule. But it is what the God of the ages has commanded his body to be about. Winning people who need a relationship to Jesus Christ. The time is short. I don't know if Jesus is coming back in my lifetime. I don't know if it would be in the lifetime of my kids or my grandkids or my great-grandkids. It may be another 2,000 years. The Bible says that a day is like a 1,000 years to Christ. It's only been two days since Jesus walked on this earth and was crucified. I don't know when he's coming back, but I know he's, we are closer today than we were yesterday. And if he waits and doesn't come back today, we'll be closer tomorrow than we were today. The time is short, and we need to get an eternal Focus on what we do to reach people for Jesus Christ. And it starts this way. There's some of you here this morning that need to acknowledge God most high. For some of you, that's a very first time thing. You've never had a relationship to Jesus Christ. Man, you could have played at it. You could have dabbled it. You, you could have walked it and, and talked it. But the reality is your heart never changed. And what you need today is to acknowledge He is God, he's not just auditioning for the job. 
and he is my Savior, and he's my Lord. And you need to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. That's what you need. There's some of us here as believers, and we, we, we know we got that nailed down. We know if we die, we're going to heaven. We got that figured out, but the reality is we started walking with the world again, and we started, you know, religion is a part of our life. It's not the priority of our life. Religion is a part of what we do, but Christ is not the center, and we've walked in the world, and the reality is you are wearing yourself out in your own strength trying to balance and juggle and do things your way instead of God's way. And it's time for you to come again and say, he is God most high. And I'm going to walk with him. For some of us here this morning, and the honest truth is, we just need to give a public witness. Maybe it happened this last week. Maybe it happened two weeks ago. Maybe it happened a month ago. But the reality is you need a relationship to Jesus Christ. You've got that. You ask him to save you. And what you need to do is today is a public testimony. You need to get baptized. You need to put on the wedding ring. I was so glad that Ronnie used that the other night because that, that's what I've been, been using for years. And it just shows that great minds think alike. <laughs> it's a wedding ring. I'd take this ring off if I could get it off my fat finger, and I'm still married to Laurie. It doesn't make me married. In fact, this isn't even the ring that I got married in. I lost that one. <laughs> Wasn't all my fault, though. It was, it was partly her fault. <laughs> Fell out of my softball bag. And she thought it was just a quarter. That ring doesn't make me married. It just shows everybody else that I am. Baptism doesn't make you saved. It just shows everybody else. Here's the start of my testimony. And there's some of you here today. Today needs to be the day you do that. We're going to give you an opportunity here just at the close of the service. If you want to say today, you know what, I've asked Christ to be Lord of my life. I'm following him and everything I do, but I need to take a step of baptism. We're going to give you an opportunity. We started the baptism. We're going to end it with baptism. If you want to get baptized today, we're going to do that. There's some of us here this morning, and the honest truth is we have allowed the trivial. Oh, man, we got our eyes on Jesus. But the reality is we've allowed things that don't matter, things that people have said. Man, aren't you, do you understand how, how, how precious the people in that Samaritan town now considered the woman they'd made fun of? What, what if she had said, well, they talked about me. They, they made fun of me. Yeah, I made some mistakes, but so had they. What if she had not run into town and shared the gospel? What if she had not gone, but she had allowed the trivial, the things that are not eternal, to direct her life? There's a whole town that wouldn't have been saved. The disciples went into that town. They went into that town looking at Jesus instead of looking at the world. You and I need to walk with Christ into the world and tell people about Jesus Christ. Is he sovereign? Have you declared his miracles through baptism? Is there something in your life that stands in the way of your witness?